you have single-handedly changed our family because of mastermind because i felt safe enough and realized with your help realized that it's not just about the picking up of the toys and the back talk and the productive conversation scripts it's not about that it's about healing myself and becoming a better version of myself and showing up and being able to be that way for my entire family I really credit you with doing something that I literally have not been able to do with countless therapists and all the journaling and all the thinking and all the meditating and all the things. It was because of you. So thank you for helping heal what I thought was unhealable. You're listening to the Mastermind Parenting Podcast with Randy Rubenstein, episode 27. So the big question is this, how do parents like us know that we aren't messing up the biggest role of our lives, especially when we happen to have a strong-willed child that's constantly pushing our buttons? We've all heard that kids don't come with a manual, so how can we know for sure that we're saying the right things or that we're getting this parenting thing right? Well, on this podcast for parents of toddlers to teens, we'll be giving you real tools you can use right away so that your kids will feel like they can talk to you about absolutely anything and everything. My name is Randy Rubenstein, and welcome to the Mastermind Parenting Podcast, where we believe when your thoughts grow, the conversations in your home flow. Well, hi, you guys. Welcome to today's podcast. I have a very special guest. I have Dana Sukow. She is a speaker and educator. Um, since overcoming bulimia, binge eating disorder, and exercise compulsion that resulted in permanent injuries, Dana Sukow has become an expert in the field of body image and eating disorder prevention. Offering a non-clinical and holistic approach, Dana will teach you how to put your child on a path towards body love, empowerment, and self-acceptance. In 2014, Dana founded Hashtag My Body Story, an ongoing storytelling series created to uplift girls' and women's voices that so often go unheard. This is so important, the work you do. Welcome thank to the you. show. Hi, thank, thank you so much for having me. Oh my gosh, I'm so glad you're here. Hold on, there we go. I'm going to put it on gallery view. We're all <laughs> set up now. <laughs> technology. Um, okay, so... I do a little miracle morning practice and um, this morning in my uh, workbook where I write out my thoughts, I wrote out my intention for this show and preparing for the show. Oh, awesome. And, um, and so I want to kind of share that with you because I think it will maybe set the tone for where our conversation is going to lead. Yeah. Um, okay. So what I wrote, I'm just going to read, okay. And you ha- y'all have to, excuse me, I do it in kind of a brain dumping fashion. Um, So my intention is not to preach or shame moms, but to have a real conversation about how to have a real body conversation with our girls and understand and really come to the realization that in the process of having these real conversations about our girls, we do a lot of healing ourselves Mm -hmm. because what happens is, is, and this is what I've experienced with my own teenage daughter, you know, as mom, we, our conscious brains can BS ourselves all day long that we think we've, we're healed and we've got it figured out mm-hmm. and we're not 
we're not bringing things from our childhood with us and we're not victims and we're these empowered. I mean, I was a women's studies, I was a sociology major and a women's studies minor. I am this empowered, you know, yada, yada, yada. And then all of a sudden I had a teenage girl who was scrolling on Instagram and left out of that party or who, you know, I saw like, uncontrollably eating and all of a sudden I get triggered and can't think clearly. And so what I've noticed in my own experience, she just turned 17 this summer, but what I've noticed in my own experience is all this um, BSing I did that I had all that stuff figured out. She holds a mirror up to me and lets me know how much healing there still is to do. Absolutely. So I really want to have a conversation with you um, on, on how to handle these conversations proactively, right. Mm -hmm. To, to help, um, to help our girls not have the eating disorders and not have all the body shaming and body image issues. And when we find ourselves in a situation where we've handled a lot of things wrong, I want your input on the recovery process and how, what your suggestions are on how to handle those conversations. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think it's so important. And I think so many times, you know, when there's something wrong with kids or children that we're taking care of or we're the parents, we're like, what's wrong with the child? But it's not what's wrong with the adults who are raising them. What's the language that they've been taught and that they've been growing up with? What's going on in society that's happening that's making we put all of the blame on children that this is why they are that way when we, we all have responsibility and we, and this is, and again, I, I really like that you touched on not shaming parents for making mistakes. I think that is so important because I had an eating disorder. I was entrenched in diet culture. I know so many people who are entrenched. It's, it's when a society is built up the way it is, it's hard to not be absolutely absorbed by it. So I just yeah. want to say, you know, it's not your fault that you believe these things, but you can take action and unlearn them and learn why we think the way they, that we do. And that's how we can get empowered. So it's not about shame. It's going, okay, wow. I, I, I believe a lot of things that are incorrect about bodies and eating and, and diet culture. And how can I unravel that and empower myself to re- put my child on a path to not be absorbed about their body in the same way that I am? Okay. So give me an idea of, what, at what age do we start having, like, do we start having conversations about it? Do we wait until we notice that our daughters are coming to us and discussing things about that? Like you wait, you wait, you don't do it proactively. You You, you don't do it proactively. And I, I think, you know, I actually, I had a conversation with a parent yesterday and they said, my four year old son is, he's a little bit pudgy and he eats a lot and I'm just not sure what to do. And I, in my head, you know, and, and I told her and I just said, it's, he's four years old. Children are in touch with their body and in touch with their hunger at young ages. They know what he's growing. I mean, we're so afraid of having fat children that we want to interrupt a child's own relationship with food and their body, that we want to say, we know more about what you should be eating than a child's brain and body do. Um, so yeah, it's you really don't want to have these discussions until you start seeing a child avoiding food, and this usually happens teenage years, you know, a teenager avoiding food, a teenager hiding food, a teenager binging, or you hear a teenager purging. Um, that's when you want to have the conversations. And the conversation is not, 
hey, I see that there's something wrong with you. The, the conversation has to involve a lot of empathy and a lot of discussion around, hey, I, I, I feel like you haven't been, you know, feeling great around food. And I just want to let you know that I don't feel great around food either. You know, mm. I've had these issues and I just, you know, my body's been bumming me out and I just want you to know that you're not alone. You want to talk to me about what's going on? And mm -hmm. that's how we can kind of open up. Because if you approach a child and you say, hey, there's something wrong with you, your child's going to go deeper into shame and it's, they're going to hide away and they're going to push you away. I always use the example when I had a roommate. So I got my eating disorder later in life. I got it when I was 26. And I use the example of, when my roommate, I think, noticed some things were going on and she wanted to have a discussion with me. I was so wrapped up in my eating disorder. She said, hey, you, there's, what's going on with you? You, you're out of control and you seem that there's something wrong and I'm worried. And instantly I put up a wall and I got defensive and I said, I'm absolutely fine. Don't worry about me. I'm offended that you would even, you know, do that because I was made to feel so other and so not loved. It was like a, a worry and kind of a, a shameful place. Mm. So those conversations, if you do have the initial conversation, you have to be so careful about it and you can't force someone to get help who doesn't want help. Mm-hmm. So when you were, so you didn't develop it till you were 26. Were you always, do you remember like what was the first age that you were aware of your body or became body conscious? Yes. So, so it's, so my story is interesting. You know, so many people that say they have eating disorders, you know, just kind of say, yeah. And I started dieting and then I got obsessed with food and then it was just, you know, it kind of starts around food and weight. Mine started at a very young age that I had, I grew up with acne and I grew up with cystic acne. I was the first kid in elementary school to get acne. I got bullied all the time for my acne. I had boys in high school break up with me for my skin. Um, and so I was always aware of my body, but a different part of my body. And I was aware of my skin. So, you know, every time I was talking to somebody, I would barely be retaining any of the conversation because I would be so worried about what does my skin look like? What are they thinking about me? What's, you know, what do they think about me? Do they love me? Do they accept me? Uh, so that was the first time I really noticed body checking. And that was in elementary school. And that happened because my mom grew up with really uh, cystic acne and she was bullied relentlessly while she was growing up. So I grew up hearing constantly that if your skin isn't clear, you're going to get bullied. If your skin isn't clear, you're not going to be loved. So we always have to make sure you have clear skin. So that was instilled in me that if I didn't look beautiful and perfect, that I wouldn't be loved. Um, mm. So, you know, fast forward to when I was 26, I still you know, thought I absolutely was afraid to be seen. I wouldn't even let people see me without makeup on. Um, but something happened. I moved to New York and I didn't have any friends or family here. I just kind of moved on a whim and I moved from California. And when I moved, it was that feeling of being alone, of not having any support network. And I think all the groundwork for just feeling low about myself, low self-esteem, feeling unloved, feeling like nobody cared about me, nobody liked me, uh, and then not having any support system. It, I don't know, an eating disorder just happened. And mm. I found myself you know, eating and then going, oh, I'm putting on weight and then dieting and then eating and then dieting. And pretty soon it became just an absolute obsession with food and weight and my body. And I had full bone bulimia and binge eating disorder. You know, it's so interesting. Um, I think 
there's, there's such a piece of eating, you know, eating can be a drug. You know, it's like when you, when you found yourself in that cycle, you had moved and you were lonely, right? And as humans, like we're, we're pack animals. We're not meant to be lonely. Mm -hmm. And so you found yourself lonely and you're, and it's one of the quickest, easiest ways to get an immediate pleasure hit Mm -hmm. is through, you know, food that usually is, you know, laden with saturated fat or a lot of sugar, right? Right. So, which adds to the acne issue, adds to, um, you know, the weight gain and all that, but it's an immediate pleasure hit. And I kind of feel like in our culture, we don't talk enough about that, about food being a drug. And then the, you know, all the body image issues and the eating disorders, like we're dealing with those and, and I hear a lot of talk about that, but like, I don't hear what's underneath a lot of the times. And like, even that four-year-old example that you gave me, like the four-year-old that's eating a lot and, and all of a sudden gaining some weight. I don't know if there's been a lot of research done on this issue, but I can tell you that I had a trauma happen to me when I was three years old. Mm-hmm. And one of my first body memories is closet. I remember my, my dad, I think had brought home some like little Debbie snacks or something that my mom would never buy. Mm -hmm. I remember being in kindergarten and hiding in the kitchen, in the pantry and like closet eating Mm -hmm. and trying to eat it so fast that, and not get caught. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then my belly hurting afterwards mm-hmm. and being very aware of my body. Like I started gaining that weight, but I really, I really think I was doing it in response to that trauma that mm-hmm. I wanted to feel better and I felt alone. And I, you know, and so, and so I guess my question is, is, um, do you find that this is a conversation where we're getting underneath? that loneliness and that desire that using food as a drug to feel better. Do you find that that's a conversation people are having much? Um, You know, I think it's, I think it's a slippery slope. So a lot of what I, what I preach and what I practice is that food has no moral value. You know, we talk about food being good and bad that we talk about, you know, it's laden with saturated fats, it's laden with sugar, it's laden with these things. Those things, if you're, if you're eating them and you're listening to your body, those things are not going to kill you. Those things, those things are, and we say that, you know, if you eat this, you're a bad person. So I do think that, yes, I do think that, you know, studies do show that sugar does affect our brain, that these things affect our brain. But I think also placing moral value on food, saying they're bad. And when we think that we're breaking a rule, that gives us a rush too. And I think that that part is actually not not discussed. I think we discuss more about food addiction. And I think that we use, you know, people saying constantly that an addiction to food is kind of why people are fat, why we have problems in society. But I don't think anyone's talking about the morality that we place on food. And that is also giving people endorphin rushes, doing something wrong when you're a kid and feeling like you're going to get in trouble and getting Mm -hmm. away with it. Mm -hmm. That is, that's an incredible feeling. That is, that's a high, that's a rush. 
And that happens when we say these little Debbie cakes are absolute, they're bad for you. Mm -hmm. They're wrong. They're not okay. You know, I, mm -hmm. I did things similar. I love peanut butter and chocolate and I used to steal like these peanut butter chocolate candies out of the cupboard, but my parents were also on Weight Watchers. My parents were also, I had diet culture mentality in my home. So these foods were bad. So I had already placed value yeah. on the foods that were going to give me a rush. And, you know, and again, we talk about food addiction. I also want to say that when I was at the worst of my eating disorder, I binged on carrots. I binged on celery. Mm. I binged on frozen green beans. I mean, I binged on food that isn't good or bad, you know, and yet my brain still just thought I need food to survive. So yes, there's, we can have these discussions and we are having this, these discussions, but I do think that just having the discussion around the addiction to food, I feel like is, is one-sided and still places blame on the individual and not the culture that we're living in that makes people think these foods are bad to begin with. Well, right. Well, I also think, um, you know, I don't know if it places, I, I guess my point is, is getting underneath what's going on for the child that they're feeling that they have a hole inside that they want oh, to fill with something that feels pleasurable in this moment right, right. now, you know, what's really going on. Right. And I know for, I know for teenage girls, like it's, I mean, it's, it's hell being a teenage girl. And, um, and so I see that the girls a lot of times do bond around food, mm -hmm. either binge eating or restricting. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it's almost like we're all together and we're going to feel better in this moment together, even though we're the ones who are kind of making each other feel bad a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Let's bond and connect over feeling better in this moment right now. Um, or in control by restricting, right. you know, and um, it's, it's so interesting to me how that kind of plays out. But, but my brain went to a scenario of a client, um, like what you were just saying, like you, you binge, you used to binge on even like carrots or, or. Right. Like, so you know, good foods or healthy foods. Yeah. So, okay. So I, um, I had a mom that I was working with and she came to me, she had a very close relationship with her mother mm -hmm. and her daughter who was about eight or nine was um, she was very worried about her daughter who had gained some weight. And she said, she will binge on like health, like, like cherry tomatoes. Mm -hmm. She will binge on anything. And, um, and we got to the bottom of, I said, you know, this is a family legacy and it comes from your mom and there's been a big emphasis placed on external beauty mm -hmm. and, um, and we're not blaming your mom because the thing is, is that your mom, all she knows, you know, her mom's, a, she was like, she went on and on about how she was a very attractive woman. And she was like, my mom just always is the most beautiful, most well-dressed and this, mm -hmm. that, and the other. So the mom had placed a lot of value on her external beauty right. and she had really believed, she really believed deep down that all these good things had happened in her life based on that external beauty. Right. So whenever the younger, the daughters and the granddaughters, um, she saw that something going, something was going awry with their external beauty. She got very concerned and she wanted to try and control it. Mm -hmm. And what we got to was, um, 
you know, your mom did that because she honestly believed that she was going to protect you from, you know, and she felt like, like really good things had happened to her in her life because of that external beauty. So now this is about disrupting that pattern. Mm -hmm. Right. And so we really talked about it and, um, she really couldn't get there. Like she kind of felt, she agreed in the moment, but then she kind of fell off and, and I just stopped hearing from her and she wasn't mm -hmm. doing the work. It was like too deeply ingrained, this family legacy. Mm -hmm. So my question to you is, is you're a mom, you notice there's been a very high value placed on beauty from your mom and in your own life. Mm -hmm. And you see your daughter binge eating cherry tomatoes, right? Right. And she's eight. Mm -hmm. um, let's, will you kind of give some suggestions on how she could handle that? Yeah. Um, okay. So first I want to, I just want to talk about, you know, talking about the family legacy and the mom, uh, you know, the, the grandmother who really paid place value on beauty. And while there is, I do think that there's personal responsibility on how we raise children, on how we tell children that their bodies are worthy. We can't deny the fact that society does give privilege to those with certain body types. The society does, you know, the way that we view fat people and that we treat fat people is abhorrent. Uh, the way that we shame, publicly shame people who are fat. And we have such a fear of being that person. We have such a fear of being you know, put on that shame pedestal that we will do anything to protect our children from it. So I understand when right. parents put this pressure on their kids, I absolutely get it. You know, when we talk about my mom with acne, she didn't want me bullied. She didn't right. want me to receive the same treatment that she received. So she tried to protect me. And in trying to protect me, she hurt me. But I can't get mad at her for knowing the place that it came from. Right. Um, so, you know, talking about the, the kid binging on cherry tomatoes, uh, we need to look at, you know, I want to I step back for a moment also and kind of look at eating disorders and how eating disorders kind of start. And there's a lot of discussion all over the place about, you know, eating disorders or mental illness. Eating disorders are caused by diet culture. Eating disorders are caused out of trauma. And it's kind of a mix of everything. You know, they're not fully a mental illness, but they're not fully, you know, you do have to have kind of an, a, you know, there's a lot of personality traits that kind of give into developing an eating disorder. But the most, the, the most triggering thing that causes an eating disorder is um, restri restriction. So mm -hmm. when we tell someone to restrict, what we're doing is we are triggering their animal brain to think that a food drought is coming. Because back before we lived in the society where food was plentiful and we could just go to the store and buy food, we really did depend on the ebb and flow of nature and weather and, and food and grains and animals. And so when those things weren't around, our body would go into starvation mode very quickly and say we need to get as much food as possible and as much energy as possible so that we don't die of starvation. Right. So this is why diets and restriction don't work. But 95% of diets fail if you look at them over a course of five years because you're restricting. And your body and your brain, you're literally fighting nature when you diet. So this girl who's eight years old, who's been told that, you know, beauty is the only thing and these foods are bad, her brain is like, but I'm in starvation mode. So she's going to try and get energy and nutrients and anything she can and binge on foods that are quote unquote good, but 
if you eat a if you eat a ton of good food, you're still going to put on weight is, is just as much if you eat a ton of quote unquote bad food. It doesn't matter if, if you're eating that many calories. I mean, I, I it, it I put on a lot of weight when I was in my worst of my eating disorder, and I was eating quinoa and brown rice and vegetables. And but you know what? When you are a bottomless pit, it doesn't matter. And so this, so we have to look at what, what is happening in this child's brain, first of all, that she actually is, she has, it's almost like, you know, having Jimmy Cricket on your shoulder where you have a voice saying, eat, 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 because you're, you're never going to get this food again. And the other voice is saying, no, that's bad food. You're going to get fat. And you feel like you're going crazy because you have these two conflicting voices in your head. And I feel my heart breaks hearing that an eight-year-old is going through that because mm-hmm. at 26, I didn't have the skills to deal with that. At eight, I mean, of course she's going to binge because she's just following her animal brain. Her, her human brain, you know, the brain, that our, our thinking brain, our actual, it's not developed enough to say, whoa, I need to stop. I need to take a minute back. Mm-hmm. So while I think of discussion around you know, a discussion around anti-diets needs to happen and say, hey, I know you're eating tomatoes. If you want a cookie, have a cookie. It's totally fine. And you start to th- say, things are safe. You're not going to go through a food drought. Let's talk to your animal brain and let's make your human brain say, hey, I'm still in charge. The other conversation needs to happen with the parent. And that's why the work that I do is not with children. It's with parents because we have to break down this diet culture, this fat phobia stigma that we are internalizing. And you can't teach someone to love their body if you hate your own body. Mm-hmm. So good. That's so, I love that. I love, I mean, I talk a lot about, um, about our brain and our primal brain and when we were cave people yeah. and what, what's still hanging around with the lizard brain. Um, so that whole restricting, that makes so much sense to me. And I've never heard it before. And I love that. Hey, if you want to, you know, it's the restricting thing. If you want a cookie, have a cookie, if your body and really a lot of what I do in my work is, um, is I teach women and I teach women to teach their children mm-hmm. how to feel the sensations of our body. Yes. Yes. And, and really to understand that um, emotions and sensations in the body, like our bodies are, it's always talking to us and it's a truth teller. And mm-hmm. so when we tap back into the sensations of our body, all of a sudden we have all of this information and it really guides us towards the life that feels good for us. Mm-hmm. And so um so I love that conversation of taking the restriction out of it and also really, um, really starting to talk to that eight-year-old, maybe even about, you know, like letting it segue into a conversation about her amazing body that's always talking to her. And if it's right. saying, hey, hey, I'm hungry for a cookie right, right now, and it's hungry for a right. cookie right now. It's and let- 100%. And, but the important thing, too, is you have to be a model for that. I have to be a mom, you know, and I'm not, look, we're going to mess up again. We're removing shame. You're going to have days that it's really difficult, but to be a model and to also say, okay, if I want my daughter to, to grow up with healthy body image, I'm going to have to eat a cookie around her. I'm going to have to remove that language around, oh, I, you know, I didn't work out today. I can't have a cookie. You, it's, it, it, we have to remove it from the schools, from the household. We have to remove it everywhere. And, um, you know, I, I love the, I, I love that it's the animal brain and the lizard brain. I love that we're talking about it. One thing that I, that I was thinking about when you were, you were mentioning it is 
telling people to get in touch with their hunger and, and being intuitive and, and saying, you know, oh, I am hungry. What do I feel like? And let me really think about it. The problem is when we do that, the second we say, you know what, a cookie would really make me happy, our other brain goes, no, cookies are bad. And so we have to be aware of that language, that quick, it's, it's, a, it's immediate that we tell ourselves that we can't have that. And then our body instantly goes into restriction and we get anxious and we say, okay, so I can't have the cookie. Well, what else do I want? And it's really having these internal dialogues of mm. if you want the cookie, eat the cookie. Because if you don't, if it could end up in a yo-yo diet, it could end up in a lot more stress and pain than eating a cookie. So good. It's, I mean, it's just, it's so, it's so important. It's so good. And like I say to, I say to people all the time, they're listening to like this, they're listening to this much of what we say, yeah. but, they're, but they're watching everything. So the whole thing about modeling, right. Mm -hmm. And, and really talking to moms and what I've found, especially having a teenage daughter is like I said at the beginning of the conversation, I am BS myself all day long. Mm -hmm. Then all of a sudden when I, I'm in touch with my body and I know when I get a triggered sensation and when my daughter goes through something and I get triggered, I know that she's holding a mirror up to something that's unhealed in me. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's a clue to get curious about, huh, well, there's another layer to peel back. And so I think so often as moms, when our daughters trigger us, we're like, are you kidding me? I have been putting my head in the sand, pretending that that wasn't an issue. Mm -hmm. And now you're, you're holding a mirror up. I don't mm -hmm. want to, I don't want to, mm -hmm. but I love you so much that I got to. Mm -hmm. And so I think taking the opportunity to realize and to stop fighting it and to say, okay, I see I'm being triggered by something in my daughter. She's mm -hmm. holding a mirror up. All right, I'm going to dig in and do the work and heal this stuff once, once and for all and really going there yourself so that you can model the, the stuff that you want her to have as well. Right. And, and I mean, I just want to put out there, you know, doing the work, it's hard work. It is. Yeah. I mean, we, you have to dig in. It's not an overnight process. You're going to make mistakes. It's two steps forward, one step back. But the reward is so great. You know, I, I use the example of when I had my eating disorder and I finally said, I need help. And I reached out and I found a therapist and I've been going to therapy for, you know, five years now. And I've had a lot of times where I go, you know, I leave and I go, this isn't worth it. This is too hard. I don't want to access this. I don't want to do this growth. I don't even want to deal. My brain hurts, but I look at where I am now and I am so thankful and blessed and just I can't thank myself enough for wanting to do that work so many years ago because of who the person I have become now. You know, I learned empathy. I learned forgiveness. I, I can forgive the people who have hurt me and I can understand where they came from and what happened, like what they were thinking of. You know, I've even being able to view people who are so entrenched in diet culture and are preaching these just terrible lies to children. I'm going, I go, they're a product of diet culture. That's not the enemy. The system is my enemy. The system is where I fight. And, and it's hard, but I wouldn't be this person if I hadn't started doing that work. So I, you know, if I can give any advice to any listeners, it's, it's going to suck. It's going to be painful, but it's also incredibly beautiful. 
Well, right. It's an invitation to like, and that's what I say to my moms all the time. You know, look, we got to lean into the suckage. You got to know when you're. Changing- ah, I love that. <laughs> lean into the suckage. Got it. Because when you're changing a pattern, the brain, the human brain seeks the familiar. So yes. when you're changing a pattern, your brain is like, hell no, I'm yeah. not doing this. It's gonna suck. Yeah. And then it doesn't. Yeah. And then you're like, what was I so scared of? And like where you've gotten to with the five years of therapy, where I've gotten to in 20 years of self-help yeah. is yeah. basically I've gotten into this place of curiosity about the puzzle pieces of my own life and, and realizing it's not scary to look back. It's actually the most, it's like the most interesting book you could ever read when you start to put the puzzle pieces of your own life and build that self-awareness. It's awesome. Oh, and, and fine. And remember, you know, when you do something and going, Oh, that was a, that was child me. That was, you know, I say little Dana sometimes when I react in a, you know, when I don't feel like an adult and I think that I'm just kind of being reactionary, but that's little Dana. And back then she's doing behaviors that used to keep her safe and protected and loved. And, and those are things that I learned, but I'm an adult now and I don't need to do these behaviors that once kept me safe as a child because I'm an adult and I'm big Dana and I can take care of myself. But it's also, like you say, it's looking back and seeing it as a beautiful thing. Instead of saying, I'm so angry that I am obsessed with my body. I'm so angry that I can't stop thinking about food. You go, you know what? This behavior has kept you safe. This was your body's reaction to pain, trauma, diet, culture, anything. Let's not look at it with shame and anger. Let's look at it as something that's beautiful and as something that we can put behind us and move forward in. Well, and that's, that's empathy for yourself too. Like empathy is the answer. It's uh, you touched on it and it's the answer. It's really the heart of everything I teach in terms of the communication skills. And like when you said how to talk to your daughter and to say, I've had this issue Mm -hmm. and um, I totally get it. And I'm, you know, I've said this to my daughter too, and we've had some really amazing conversations and I've said, I am afraid that, you know, what's, what's killing me as a mom is that I've had these issues. And so when I see them come out in you in little tiny ways, mm-hmm. I beat myself up that I caused this. Mm-hmm. And the last thing I want to do is transfer my unhealed stuff onto mm-hmm. you. You know, we got, we got to dig in and do this together because obviously I got stuff to work out. And so we came up with a system of basically, if I made a comment about if I noticed that she was going through something hard socially and she was, you know, doing a little binge eating Mm -hmm. or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, and I found myself triggered deer in the headlights and, and made a comment. She would bring me back to earth by basically Mm -hmm. saying, mom, this is not your business. Mm. And that's good too, because that's her setting of boundaries, which I think children need boundaries. You know, teenagers need boundaries. We all are allowed bodily autonomy. We all are allowed to say, I don't feel safe. This is not, this is not your business. I don't want to talk. Um, absolutely. I mean, I think that's so beautiful that you give, you've given your daughter the opportunity to say, this is not your business or I don't want to talk about it. And I think so many kids don't have that opportunity. Um, yeah. And you know, it's, it's interesting hearing you talk about 
as a mom, when you see your daughter doing something and it's causing you pain, you know, when I, when I talk about my eating disorder and my parents and my family and growing up, I have a hard time going, how much do I tell without my parents feeling so ashamed that they caused this in me, you know? Mm. And I, I don't, I, that's not what I want because at the end of the day, they did the best they could with the tools they had. Um, and it's taken me a long time to get to that place, but it, it's, it's hard to, it's, it's, um, you know, I, I never want a parent to feel like the, any, anything is all their fault. It's, we we're all doing our best and it's all a, look, we, we live in a messed up world. We live in a messed up world, but it's not wonderful to anybody. And, and it's not wonderful to a lot of people, uh, worse than others, but you know, at the end of the day, you're, you're really doing your best. Well, it's not about blame. That's the point is this human experience. It's like what you said, it's messy. And I say to people all the time, I'm like, I'm like, what I'm teaching isn't going to come naturally. This whole um, empathetic approach to communication with our kids that's super logical and respectful because for the most part, no one I know was really raised with this model. And I don't say that ever from a place of blame. I say it from a place of human evolution. Mm. Our parents, like we live in this modern day of technology. We have access to things like podcasts and mm -hmm. I mean, all these amazing tools. I mean, frankly, I've developed a method for regular people like me and you to be able to retrain our brains by mm -hmm. creating new habits. I did this all without a PhD in neuroscience. Um, so we have amazing access to these tools. And frankly, mainstream parents didn't have that back in the day. And this oh, is of what course. we're supposed to do as humans is we're meant to continue to evolve. And, and so when I have those conversations with my daughter and I take responsibility, um, really, it's, re it's really not me. Um, I'm not beating myself up. I honestly have empathy for myself in those mm -hmm. moments. Mm -hmm. And she and I, we bond and connect so much in those moments because she's like, look, you're human. I'm human. We're going through this stuff together. Right. This is that whole perfection parenting. That is so 1984. Like mm -hmm. today, what we're doing is we're being messy and perfect humans. And we're really creating these connected households where we're all allowed to be imperfect. Yeah. We're all allowed to own our mistakes. Yeah. And, and you know, it's, it's, I'm wondering too, I mean, I think it is where, you know, maybe parenting books are almost the same way as diet books to where we're so, we don't even know what's right anymore because we're so overloaded with information. Um, and I think that that too is, you know, why we have such a rampant diet culture uh, in our society is because there's so many rules everywhere you look at something is good. Something is bad. Don't eat this, but tomorrow you can eat this. And I am sure it's the same way with parenting where it's you're you have so much that you go i don't even know what's right anymore and if one book is telling me this is right and the other book is telling me this is wrong and so we end up losing touch with our own instincts and our own right. our own preferences um and i do you know i love that you talk about how much information we have access to because we have access to more information than we've ever had ever and the fact that you know you can write a book about the brain without having a phd is something that 
never really happened before. And it's happening all the time now because we can get access to this amazing information. But we also, it's information overload. And mm -hmm. a lot of the talking that I do and the education I do is also based around media literacy, especially mm -hmm. around social media, because that's where all of our teens are on now. And the way that children's brains work when they see images um, and how it's, you, you know, a child processes an image 60,000 times faster than they process words. So we can educate them all we want on, you know, how a thin body is not an ideal body or, or how all bodies are, are, should be treated equal and how diets don't work. But if your child on social media is looking at thin, white, tall, able-bodied young women over and over and over and over again, they're getting the message subconsciously that that's the only way that their body can exist to be valuable. And especially when we have people with millions of followers with those type of bodies and in social media, we equate alike with love. Um, we are literally wiring children's brains to believe that there's only one way to exist. And, and those bodies aren't even real. What's the solution there? Cause I'm like sitting here thinking about my daughter and I'm like, she, that when, when she's going through something hard socially at school, yeah. I'll find her in her bed and that's what she's doing. Scrolling on scroll, mindlessly scrolling. Yep. 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 Um, so, so there's, there's two, there's two parts of it. One is having the conversation with our kids about, uh, how the brain processes images how we view fat bodies, how we view thin bodies, talking to them about eating disorders. And this unfortunately means that you're going to have to educate yourself. This means that parents are going to have to do reading. But like you said earlier, we have, it's, it's just a Google away. It's so easy right. to get information now. So don't be daunted by it. You know, be excited that you can learn all these new things. Um, so once you learn that and you really kind of get an understanding of what this is doing to your child's brain and, and how they're processing it's then having the conversation with them and not just teaching them that, but saying, you know what, let's diversify your social media feed. Let's find bodies who don't look like, um, who don't look like this one ideal. Let's find a diverse range of bodies, young, old, black, white, Asian, uh, any, any race, any color, any size, any age, you know, ability. And we start diversifying because if children can start seeing that a body is worthy of respect no matter what it looks like and we can show them a wide range of it that's mm -hmm. where that's where you start affecting change and that mm -hmm. also means finding books with a fat protagonist not antagonist it means finding mm -hmm. books with you know uh uh people of color as the leading roles it means finding books with women doing amazing things where the end is not where she finds a prince so, you know, finding books where the, you know, you have a protagonist of a queer character, a lesbian character, a gay character. Mm -hmm. So it's diversifying the media that we see, because if you're looking at images day in and day out, your brain is being wired that that's the only way to exist. So you need to have a diverse, you know, a view of existence. So good. It's so good. <laughs> I mean, it is. It is so so good. I think that basically what I'm getting is that, you know, it's a whole kind of um, concoction mm -hmm. of, of remedies to truly become part of the solution. Right. And, um, and I think this is something, okay, now I'm getting the truth bump. So I know this is a, this is it. You know, we can go, I think we do need to understand where diet culture came from and, um, and, and kind of the roots of it. Mm -hmm. And then 
moving into really being part of the solution. What, where we do have the most power as women is we are raising and shaping the people. Mm-hmm. And so when our girl people are here before us and we find ourselves triggered and we know there's something unhealed in us and we say, okay, let's pull up my big girl panties. I'm going to dig in. I'm going to do the work, you know, mm-hmm. just like Dana talked about her mm-hmm. brain for five mm-hmm. years in therapy. Um, <laughs> but I love, I love this girl too much not to do the work. Yeah. And so when we dig in and do the work, and we help to shape the girl people and the boy people mm-hmm. in a way that they don't feel ashamed of their body. They don't add to the fat shaming. Mm-hmm. They understand this diversification of all different kinds of bodies and people. Right. And that, and that self-worth doesn't have to do with your physical package. Yes. Right. Yes. That's truly, I think, how we step into the most empowered place we can be as moms and as women. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, oh, yes, 100%. And, and I love that you're, you, I think we, I, I just want to do a quick definition of diet culture because I feel bad because I think I've been saying it throughout the podcast and I didn't even really talk about what it is. And I'm sure that for most people, they can say, oh, diet, you know, culture relating diet. But right. it really is this, this, just we are seeped in this idea that if you're not dieting, then what are you doing with your life? That everyone is perpetually dieting. We are perpetually chasing beauty and thinness. And it, that, that really is, I mean, that's what your child is stepping out into the world to. That is what you're mm-hmm. stepping out into the world to. And, mm-hmm. you know, we can do so many things, but it's also going like, do as much as you possibly can because you love this child and you want future generations to not have eating disorders, to not hate their bodies. And every little seed that you plant, you're creating more body confidence in your child and you're creating a better understanding of the world and of people and of empathy of other bodies and respect for other bodies. And I don't think that, I think that any amount of work towards this is amazing, whether it's for girls or boys or any children in between, like non-binary kids. I mean, anytime you're telling a child that their worth is outside of their body and it is, it is, it is beyond what their body looks like and it's their mind, it's their create through creativity, it's their grace, it's their compassion. I mean, that's what we should be raising children to believe is their value. Okay, you just used a term. I didn't know what it meant. Oh, yeah. Um, so uh, non non-binary. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So so non-binary. Um, so we have we kind of we viewed it like a gender binary as we have girls and boys, pink and blue. Uh, you know, um, vaginas and penises, and and it just this what what is a girl? What is a boy? But non-binary is really this idea that people don't um, identify as being man or woman or girl or boy. And they, so you may have heard the term they or them, where somebody says, you know, I prefer to be called they. Um, Mm -hmm. That is when somebody identifies as non-binary. And that, and that literally just means that they don't see themselves in the pillar that is womanhood or the pillar that is in manhood. And they're saying, I exist somewhere in between on the spectrum. Uh, mm-hmm. And you can literally have people who, you know, quote unquote, look like women who identify as non-binary and, and people who look like men who identify as non-binary. Um, it really is just, you know, 
how you feel on the inside and how you think that your your gender, your sex, or any any part about you, uh, you know, where it fits in in society. And since we don't have a term for anything in the middle, a lot of people use non-binary and they go by the terms uh, they and them. Okay, got it. Thank you. Yeah, of course, of course. I mean, look, you know, I, this is such a great example of, I didn't know this stuff two years ago. I didn't know this stuff before I started doing all this work. So it's like, we, and I, every time I talk to someone, I learn something new too. Like, I, I think we should just be so excited about knowledge and about asking questions. And anytime you or your daughter or your children ask a question, it's like, be excited that they want to learn. And instead of being, you know, oh, you should know this. Um, because I just want you to know, I didn't know non-binary two years ago. So right. there's, there, I'm, I'm so excited that you asked, and I hope other people uh, who didn't know also just, just found out. No, thank you. I think you've taught me so much today. Oh. Um, I wanted to ask you before we wrap up. Um, so I was watching this kind of casual interview that Oprah did recently at Stanford with some, uh, with some graduate business students. Mm -hmm. And she said in this interview that she really believes that her purpose here was to raise the consciousness. Mm -hmm. And so she was given this platform and over the years it was really, it's really become this platform because she's really just here to raise the consciousness. Mm -hmm. So and I was thinking, well, what's my purpose? I kind of feel like mm. I can't, you know, I was, I was like, I think it's still unfolding. Yeah. Um, but like, well, how am I meant to help? And so my question to you is, is do you know, like, what, what is the message that is coming through you that you think you're here to do? Like, what is the work, the real work, if you could kind of say it in yeah. a nutshell, you're here to yeah. do? Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I... I, again, I feel like it's evolving, but you're asking me right now today at this very moment is I want to protect children. I want to protect children from a culture that tells them that they're not good enough, they're not pretty enough, and they're not worthy enough just as they are. And I want to protect them from feeling any sort of way about their body that I did growing up. You know, it's funny. I, I, I have protecting children, protecting childhood is, is, something that comes up for me a lot in my writing and in my meditation. And, um, and what I've realized is, is I want to protect the magical, the magical nature, the magical mm. thinking of childhood. Mm -hmm. And um, because it was robbed for me, I think at such mm -hmm. a young age, and I've even turned that into, well, it was meant to be exactly how it happened. Right. because I was meant to do this work. But what right. I found is, is that, I re and I think for you too, I protect the children and I reach the children through the parents, through yes. the, the moms yes. in particular, because the moms are the shapers of the children. And as long as we've got all this unhealed stuff, we're not going to be able to truly protect them mm -hmm. in, the, you know, in, in terms of like, I mean, for me, a lot of what I focus is on empathetic communication versus you know, yelling and shaming and, mm -hmm. um, and because it's, it's extremely damaging emotionally mm -hmm. when our kids don't feel safe with the mm -hmm. people that, you know, are the stars of the show in their exactly. minds, their parents, right? Exactly. And, but, you know, children yeah. look up to parents. I mean, it's such a, it really messes with a child's brain when they go, the person I'm relying on for safety, housing, warmth, food, comfort 
is also a person who is not safe. And so it, it, it's, that's why, you know, you have so many um, abused children that still choose to stay with the family because it's their, their child brains can't understand that this person is not good because we, you need that person. Like you say, we're, we are a society based on human connection. We need that connection to live. Uh, one could even argue that Maslow's uh, pyramid, I think of needs. Yeah. And we hierarchy. say yeah. hierarchy of needs. And we say, you know, the bottom one is food, sleep, food, all of these things, sex, sleep. You could even argue that a baby won't get those things unless they have human connection. So you could even argue that the number one thing is, is need. And, and 100% with what you're saying, I absolutely think that you can't have empowered children if the parents and the people and the adults who are raising them don't have the tools to empower well, right. And, and that's why it's like, I've, I've realized in protecting the kids, it's really about helping the moms to heal. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I say, I, I'll say like, once somebody's working with me for a while, I'm like, I really teach self-help tools under the umbrella of parenting. Mm-hmm. Um, but I usually don't publicize that because it sound because it's, it's off putting to a lot of people and you're not kind of ready for it until you're already in it. Because it places places the onus on, you know, to be a good parent, you need to fix yourself. And everyone just wants to say, I, I'm already fixed. I just want to, how do I do this thing? I mean, even when I went into therapy, you know, my therapist was telling me all these things. I'm like, I already know this. Just how do I get rid of my eating disorder? You know, (laughs) oh, I completely understand that, you know, self-help parenting. I mean, I, I, I get it because that means, uh, actually you need to do some work. Right. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So, okay. So tell everyone how they get more of Dana. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So more, more of me. So I speak at schools. I speak at uh, colleges. I speak to uh, parents, like PTAs, you know, I've done panels, podcasts. Um, But you can find me. So if you go to danasukow.com, you can find me on social media at danasukow. And my last name is S-U-C-H-O-W. And I just, I do a lot of education on eating disorder awareness, diet culture awareness. Um, I want to give anyone that wants it, I want to give them the tools so that no child hates their bodies. We want children to love and uh, know that they can conquer the world just as they are. Oh my gosh. Amazing work. God bless you. (laughs) Okay, thank well, thank you so much for being here. This is wonderful. And um, I hope to connect with you soon. Thank you so much. I had okay. such a great time talking with you. Me too. Hey, did you enjoy this episode? If so, then please take two minutes to just leave us a review. I love creating this show and I do it to help as many families as possible. So leaving a review may seem like kind of a pointless exercise, but it actually helps us reach more moms who might really need to hear these episodes. It would mean the world to me, and plus, it's just plain good karma. Thanks. Hey, you guys. Thanks so much for listening. Mastermind Parenting Podcast is supported by my best-selling book, The Parent Gap. Usually getting a copy of the book and the audio version for you to listen to on the go would set you back around 20 bucks. But you can get both a digital copy and the audiobook for just $5.60. It's my gift to you for being one of my podcast listeners. So head over to mastermindparenting.com forward slash book to grab your copy.